Well, the story I told the children uh, is very important for this. It's a, it's a nice one. We'll have the picture of the house up, Penny, if that's right. There it is. Um, simple little story. But we take it a little step deeper now uh, because we're talking uh, in more metaphorical terms about that story. So don't forget what that story just taught, what that story was just saying. The first letter of Peter reminds us clearly of the importance of appreciating that Jesus, God's precious gift, is already present in our lives. Verse 7, you have it there. And this is important. To you who believe, this stone is precious. Peter is bringing back the words of Isaiah that we also read earlier. If you are a believer, this living presence is already with you. So clear the dust and appreciate who you have. Peter likens the religious leaders of Israel to temple builders who, while building the temple, did not recognize a cornerstone. Can you imagine a decent builder not recognizing that stone, the main stone? Peter says that to true believers, the stone is recognized as precious, even honored. Now, if you look in the birth narratives of Jesus in Luke chapter 2, there are at least two people. There's Anna and then there's Simeon, who, soon as they see him, recognize the preciousness of this baby and they honor him. And Simeon even says, now my spirit can depart in peace. And it prompts us to ask the question, at the very heart of who we are, do we consciously appreciate Christ daily? How precious, how high a priority is Christ. If Christ dwells with me, I am his residence. Believers are his dwelling place. So how is this residence, me, you, this church, his wider church, how is that being built? Verse 5 says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, this is true, but it's impossible to build a sound spiritual experience and to fix our eyes fully on Jesus when there are cows and goats and chickens running riot in our lives. These animals might symbolize those issues that come barging in with bad news, the external causes, or the hurts that you never really asked for. Conversely, they might symbolize those issues that we could do something about, but they've become indispensable and we don't want to get rid of them. And so they obscure our deeper appreciation of the precious stone. There was a program on TV some time ago which highlighted a man, a man who kept a pet with him in his house. And this pet was a 15-stone pot-bellied pig. Something like this one on screen. It's not normal. It's messy. It disrupts everything. And the man, who, by the way, is single can't control this animal. His furnishings are ripped to shreds, yet for some reason he can't bear not to have this animal in his house. It means constant disruption, endless work trying to patch up the broken parts of the residence. 
go a bit deeper. Years ago, we dealt with a marriage. We tried to deal with a marriage that broke up because one of the spouses had forgotten the preciousness of the other. The once precious spouse was metaphorically butted about the house. And the once precious Lord was totally ignored and obscured. Disruptive influences had been allowed in the residence. Don't hurt what is truly precious. It doesn't always tell on the surface. Those of you who remember going out collecting in February, door to door, yes, yes, you would go out and, and uh, we, we, we varied districts. Varied, and one of the districts I remember going to was very, very, very wealthy, very plush. And in fact, one house I even got in my car to drive up to because it was so far. It was hidden by trees, so I got in my car and I thought, I'll give this one a go. Total waste of time. But um, it was beautiful outside. It was white. It had pillars. It had flowers. And, and the windows were new. And yet when you opened the door, the husband and the wife and the children, it was carnage. And the decor, my Lord. Money doesn't mean taste, and the cult of celebrity tells us that having money doesn't mean you have a tidy heart. Here's a quote from an Australian writer, a human rights lawyer called Anna Funder. She says in one book about her protagonist, she was brave and strong and broken all at once. The outside and the inside were not the same. We've all put on a brave face at some point in our lives. For some it lasts just moments. For others it's a daily portrayal of a self that isn't real. Why? Because those farmyard animals are running amok inside. And sometimes the bravest thing to do is to get them out. That's the brave thing to do. All you want and need is for that personal dilemma, for that issue, for that sin to be gone. Because as this verse says in verse 8, he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. Now that's a kind of odd verse. You look at that and you say, what, Jesus? How is Peter saying that? He is the stone that makes people stumble. It's like he's an obstruction. What this is, there's two very important words you must remember when you look at that verse, and that is that as an inevitable consequence of how he lived and what he said, this is what would happen. It's not that he wanted it or desired it but as an inevitable consequence of being the Son of God, then people would not be able to take it, and they would stumble and fall. It's like that verse um, where Jesus says, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. And people say, oh, he's a warmonger. That's a terrible verse. What do you mean you came not to bring peace? He wanted peace, but as an inevitable consequence of who he was, he knew that it wouldn't be peaceful, because his words and his life and the standard of living that he was exhorting was not going to be appreciated and taken by everyone, least of all the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. Yet, friends, there is hope. Whatever is going on inside your residence, there is hope because you believe, as the Scripture tells us. You are a living stone of God's temple. And if you want to be a part of the building of the church, then you want your personal and inner house to reflect that. God builds from his master plan, stone by stone. Here's Isaiah 51 verse 1. Would you read this with me, please? Listen to me, 
you who pursue righteousness and who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were cut and to the quarry from which you were hewn. The temple of the old covenant was built with huge stones, expensive stones. And that old covenant temple foreshadowed the temple of the new covenant, which is the church. And God laid the foundation of that church in Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. And we have to remember that it's Peter who's writing. And if it's not Peter, it's certainly somebody that Peter knew, certainly somebody that Peter communed with. But if we say that this is Peter who's writing, what did Jesus say to Peter? And I preached on it some months ago. You are the rock on which... I will build my church. Matthew 16. Our verse 5 says that believers are not the living stones themselves, but are like living stones. We are not God. And the idea of the living stone is bigger than us. It's a large, ornate, dressed stone. It looks vibrant and unique. It takes a lot to obscure it, but it happens. And we have to be careful that there are certain things in our lives that we do not treat as if they are God. Because no one and nothing is God except God alone. It takes a lot to obscure the stone, but it happens. Our vision, our enthusiasm, our service can be blurred. It can be diverted, detracted by other issues taking precedence over Christ. And we have to be careful in the church of those things. People forget the truth of their own salvation. People forget the fact of the resurrection in all things. Because the cows and the goats. Now you might be asking, is he going to talk about the chickens? Well, just a quick word about chickens. Just for a moment, because they can be dealt with. They're the smaller things. They can represent those niggly things that peck away and cause a more subtle breakdown that can still affect relationships with everyone. Those smaller they still cause pain. So when ridding the residents of the cows and the goats and the chickens, we must dispose of them in the right place. I'm going to finish with a story. Years ago, we had a holiday in St. Ives. Many years ago. This is 20, 25 years ago. Anybody know St. Ives? Pop your hand up. There's a lot of you here, I think, know St. Ives. Uh, the front of St. Ives, if you don't know it, if you look at it, if you're looking from the sea to the little town, little bay, and there is a one-way street which goes from left to right, if you're looking at it from the sea, okay? It's a one-way street, and in the summer, it's often very, very busy. And uh, we were walking along that street. It was a, it was a lovely warm evening. Um, it wasn't raining, which is quite rare in St. Ives, but it was a lovely warm evening. And the seagulls were a nightmare, but that's seagulls for you. We were walking along, and the traffic was just beside us here, nose to tail, and a little blue fiesta came in front of us, and Guy opened the passenger's door, and literally three feet in front of me, he threw out a load of burger papers and burger containers just onto the ground, a little pile of them. There were five of them in this little fiesta. Four men, I remember it vividly, four men, one girl. Threw this out, and I, I just stood there, and I looked at them, and they laughed. And they made hand signals. They laughed, they shouted, wound up the windows because they thought it was funny because I'd picked this up and I'd looked at them and they thought it was funny. They wound up their windows. The car moved on a little way, 
But there was one fundamental flaw in their plan. Because I was all the holiday, man. We just couldn't believe it. We were all standing there looking at it. And there I am holding all this gear. And they'd driven on. One fundamental flaw in the plan. The sunroof. <laughs> Open. And so I don't know whether I should have done this even to this day. But I did. And I just went in. You drop this, boom, into the car. And then I said, make sure you dispose of it in the right place. When there's a load of litter and a load of rubbish and a load of cows and goats and all the mess that all the stuff leaves, all these issues that come in, we have to take them to the right place. And that's why we look at this wonderful cross behind us. Why? Because we are believers and believers go to Calvary. Every time, redemption, renewal, release, it takes a bit of courage to do that. If the teachers of the law had laid their rules and regulations at Calvary, then I believe Christ would have redeemed them. Because he is precious, his forgiveness is precious. And God has gathered up our wounds and problems at the cross. May we have confidence to go there and deal with them. As post-resurrection people, we can see what he has done for us. And so we appreciate his work of salvation so much more. Verses 9 and 10. This is beautiful. This rounds it off. This shows how precious we are. We are precious to him. Therefore, he must be precious to us. You're a chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, God's special possession. Look at that. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you'd not received mercy, but now you have. This is how precious you are to God. You are valued and precious and loved. Make sure this is reciprocated and that there are not things that would detract your daily devotion, your daily thinking, your daily prayer, your daily concentration on that precious stone. Give it back, that preciousness. May we be like people who know what his mercy means to us.